Hello, everyone. Welcome to Clinician Voice Podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with our speaker today. But I have to admit, I'm always a bit anxious to hear about the topic of human trafficking. It feels so far detached from most of us, but it really touches close to home when you think about our communities, our families, and especially patients we encounter on the front lines. If you haven't yet met Dr. Francine Bononiri, today is your lucky day. I'd like to first share a summary about her work and experience before we get into the talk. Dr. Bononiri is the co-founder and president of Nurses United Against Human Trafficking, a professional association created for the sole purpose of abolishing human trafficking by educating, equipping, and empowering healthcare professionals. She's a published author and invited speaker on her research and advocacy efforts surrounding the topics of human trafficking. And she's also a pediatric nurse practitioner, academic nurse educator, researcher, health policy advocate, and leader of numerous professional organizations. She serves on multiple boards and has held president roles in national nursing associations. And with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Bono Neary. Thank you, Dr. Geiger. It is such a pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you so much. And really so very grateful that you are raising awareness on this topic, particularly because, and here we are in the month of January, that it actually is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. So thank you. Absolutely. It's nice to connect here with you again. It was nice to previously have you on a webinar with us. Um, but we want to learn more about your work with human trafficking. So let's get into it. Absolutely. If you will start by telling us about human trafficking, like the defining terms and situations around it, we want to know and understand what you're talking about and how important this really is and share this with our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. So when we discuss human trafficking, I always like to read the definition according to the TVPA, which is the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, because I always like to get the terms. So according to the TVPA, which is, as I said, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, sex trafficking is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, obtaining, patronizing or soliciting of a person for the purpose of a commercial sex act in which a commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or in which the person induced to perform such act has not attained 18 years of age. Forced labor is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for labor or services through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of subjection to involuntary servitude, peonage, debt bondage, or slavery. And people are thinking that maybe human trafficking or the stereotype really is that it's only sex trafficking. There are many forms of trafficking. There is, of course, sex trafficking. There's labor trafficking, and this doesn't necessarily occur in these underground or illegal type of operations. They happen in the construction industry, crabbing and fishing industry, the healthcare industry. We also have organ trafficking, domestic servitude. So there are numerous forms of trafficking, and 
it's literally happening all around us. It is quite prolific and it is a problem that every facet of society is encountering, but because of its very hidden and clandestine nature, we just are not seeing it. Wow. Um, and you, you touched a little bit on the impact. So I'd like to focus a bit there. The impact and the wide, how widespread is human trafficking? Because you mentioned a little bit about who's at risk, but can you tell us a little more on that? Absolutely. The, the prevalence is massive. When we look at human trafficking, it is one of the fastest growing criminal enterprises globally. The profits that these traffickers are making off the sale of human cargo based on older metrics. Okay. So it was according to, um, I believe it was the U S uh, DHS actually, the department of Homeland security had said that it was approximately $150 billion annually that is being grossed, but that's based on older metrics. Now they're actually approximating it to be upwards of 240 billion. And that's according to hope for justice, um, in 2023. Wow. There are an estimated 50 million people held globally in this form of modern day slavery. And when we look domestically, human trafficking cases have been reported in all 50 states and U.S. territories. And when we look at those who are at risk, there is no prejudice or bias as to who gets recruited. There is no demographic that is spared. These traffickers truly are master manipulators. And so what they are seeking out are vulnerabilities. And so there are vulnerabilities that will definitely have an individual be more likely to fall prey to a trafficker. And this can include people with substance use addictions because they are literally recruiting out of methadone clinics, right. AA, um, you know, NA groups anyone with mental health concerns, those involved in the child's welfare system or juvenile justice system, those who are homeless or recently have relocated. So it they seek out these vulnerabilities, but again, the stereotype, unfortunately, that's out there is that it's someone who is perhaps from a lower socioeconomic grouping. Or children. Um, Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. And certainly they are being trafficked as well, but it doesn't fit one particular mold. And again, people are under the misconception that this is happening like over there. And I put that sort of right. in air quotes, like it's Out happening in the third world. Right. Exactly. Right. In these third world countries. And it is happening in schools. It's happening within our communities. It's so incredibly mm -hmm. prolific and prevalent. It's, um, and you know what, when we when we talk about these numbers, they actually are very underrepresented because, right. again, it is such a hidden crime that we are not identifying it to add to these metrics. Wow. I, I would imagine because we don't even know how underreported this is. But, you know, you, you have a significant background in nursing. So, and I know we're going to dig a lot deeper into this topic and, and, I, and I've mentioned, it always makes me anxious, um, but I really want to know, because you've done pediatric nursing, you've done different types of nursing, why human trafficking? What motivated you to pursue this cause and this area of focus? 
Absolutely. It's because of a personal experience. It was when I recognized my failure as a mandated reporter. And it just really, this passion just developed. And I just knew I had to do something. I just couldn't sit idly by because just to, to, go into some of the details of what exactly yes, had happened. Sure. At the time I was working for a pre-licensure baccalaureate RN program. And being that I am so well-versed in pediatrics, I am a pediatric nurse practitioner. I would take the students in their pediatric didactic course into the clinical facilities for their pediatric rotation. And so we were at this very large teaching hospital in New York, level one trauma center. We were up on the floor. It was myself and my eight students. And we had gotten a call from the emergency room saying that there was a 16 year old who needed to be admitted, very significant cellulitis, needed IV right. antibiotic therapy. And so I had assigned one of my students to shadow the nurse. There were two other students who weren't busy. I said, come on, students, let's go in. And as a clinical instructor, I always like to, you know, get my hands wet, so to speak. And so I'm, right. I'm in there helping. And I walked into the room and I just couldn't believe the condition of this 16 year old. Wow. It was, it was devastating. It was heartbreaking. She had lice. She was covered in IV drug marks intratreginous infections, positive for STI. She had uh, self-induced cut marks from a prior suicide attempt, positive urine for polysubstances. And here is this older gentleman, at least twice her age, who's sitting in the visitor's mm -hmm. chair. And I'm thinking, who who is this? Wouldn't leave the room. And so I'm looking at this complete dichotomy saying, well, what is happening here? Like I knew something was wrong. And as nurses, as humans, really, you feel we get it. This, yes. You, you get it. this spidey sense or like right. the hairs on the back of your <sighs> neck stand up something. And you say something is not right, but I just didn't know what it was. And so very professionally, I went over to him and I said, excuse me, sir, would, if you could just please tell us who you are, we're doing the admission history. Right. He said, sure. He said, she's just a very good friend and I'm just concerned about her. And I'm thinking, how are you concerned about, of course, again, you know, right. very professional. I'm thinking this inside my head, thinking, how are you taking care of her? Even know her. Fast forward to the following year, I was in uh, Washington, D.C., for membership assembly for ANA National, because I was serving on the board of ANA New York at the time, and who is now my dear colleague and co-founder, Tammy Tony Butler, was selected to present on human trafficking. And she's going on about the signs and symptoms and the red flag findings. And I'm saying, oh my gosh, it's literally like she's presenting the case study of the 16-year-old that I had. Okay. And Again, because of the definition of the TVPA, and that was something that I specifically read, anyone under the age of 18 who is involved in a commercial sex act, we do not need to prove force, fraud, or coercion. It's human trafficking. It's a crime. And it falls under mandatory reporting guidelines. And every single one of us failed at that facility. And I had been a nurse already for 26 years. Right. So very fortuitously, I ran into her in the lobby and I said, please, I need to talk to you because oh. I was literally hit by an 18 wheeler down there. 
And she said, absolutely, she was being trafficked and her trafficker was sitting right there. And I handed her my business card and I said, I don't know how to help you, but please let me help you because I started thinking about all the others that I failed. And I started thinking, this is a problem because as a healthcare professional, I was not educated. And there are studies that are showing that healthcare professionals are missing this vital information. Absolutely. And and I'll say that, you know, I, I've heard your story a bit before and my heart just sank because I've, I also worked at a level one trauma center here in Florida. And I know that I've seen this before, but I, I, I wasn't educated on signs, symptoms. It wasn't, you know, the priority of lists, especially in nursing school, um, even prevalent now in nursing schools. I can't, I can tell you I've written programs and I, I did not have that information included. So actually Dr. Geiger, I am so glad that you mentioned that because my colleague and I just recently conducted a study nationwide looking at that pre-licensure RN student. We were able to gain access to the NSNA, which is the National Student Nurses Association. And so our inclusion criteria were that they were NSNA students, that they, uh, members, excuse me, that they were current RN students, or they had recently graduated as an RN student within a year of our survey going out. And so we were looking to explore their knowledge of and exposure to human trafficking content in pre-licensure programs. I will tell you that our findings are consistent with findings that were conducted in studies that were conducted over 10 years ago of licensed healthcare professionals. Over 90% reported minimal to zero human trafficking content being taught in pre-licensure programs. So the needle has not moved. I believe you. And I would say that that's very true because it was recent um, when I was at the last university. And honestly, they're having this exposure in their practicum. So I won't say that they're not receiving this education, but that it could be, um, you know, done better, that it could really be um, included and emphasized in the structure and the blueprint of the curriculum. Absolutely. So I agree with you on that. And, you know, it really segues into this this next question about um, what you're doing, because your work speaks volumes. You were recently awarded a grant to support clinician training on human trafficking and you establish a graduate nursing scholarship as well. So kudos to you, Um, but you're doing so much. Tell us more about Nurses United Against Human Trafficking, your professional association. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for those kind words. Uh, So Nurses United Against Human Trafficking, again, as I told you, that literally was the birth when I met Tammy in the lobby at uh, ANA National. And so we came together and said that we need to do something. This this is too massive a problem. And the intersection of human trafficking with healthcare truly is exponential. And so we, as a professional association with the acronym NUAHT, we educate, equip, and empower, particularly healthcare professionals, on anti-trafficking training. We have memberships that are available at um, individual 
levels, as well as institutional levels. So hospital systems have acquired our training. We also have it being integrated into select pre-licensure programs across the country. And included in the membership is this very comprehensive anti-trafficking training. And the way that we really parallel our training curriculum is to that of the American Heart Association. Because I will tell you that there are approximately 10 states that mandate continuing education on anti-trafficking training for healthcare professionals. Discipline specific, sometimes it could be an hour, sometimes it can be two hours. They are brushstrokes. They are right. our healthcare professional colleagues, correct. They are not being properly trained. And so we have this very comprehensive foundation that we are providing our members, just like the American Heart Association. You cannot do PALS and ACLS in two hours. You cannot do human trafficking in two hours. So we have this nine hour, very robust training. And then every two years you can research. Well, that, that sounds wonderful. And um, I've certainly seen just a glimpse of your curriculum. And I would say that it's, it's spot on and it's very needed. Um, speaking on clinician facing, what can you share with clinicians who are listening about how they would approach this topic in the clinical setting if they suspect human trafficking? And I know we're going to get into a little bit more about that, but just initially, they have someone in front of them, they suspect there may be human trafficking. What now? Absolutely. First and foremost, it's very important that our colleagues in the healthcare professions recognize that the standard of care for this population is very different from any other population. The level of trauma that these individuals have is equivalent to that of war veterans. So we need to do everything to prevent re-victimizing these clients. We need to provide that trauma-informed, trauma-centered care. The other very pertinent piece of information that I'd like to share is please, you never want to engage with a trafficker if you feel that human trafficking is something that is occurring with this client and the situation that you are dealing with. If there is ever a safety issue, you want to call the facility security as well as 911. So I just want to get that just right out wow. there because it's very, very important. So when we are looking at these clients, because again, they are coming in, they are being seen, retrospective studies have shown when they were exploring the, the access of survivors of trafficking and their intersection or their encounters with healthcare professionals, approximately 70 to 90% reported being seen by a healthcare professional at some point during their trafficking life, with exactly. most of them being missed. So again, they we are seeing them but they are remaining completely invisible to us. So it is imperative that we are putting human trafficking on the radar and we are seeing beyond 
their chief complaint, their past medical history. Right. We need to keep our own biases in check. So when someone comes in with substance use, which again is a vulnerability, we need to make sure that we are not saying, okay, this is just some drug user, because again, we're human. You know, we, we do stereotype sometimes, but we need to say, okay, what is happening below the surface here? A, a teenager who comes in with frequent UTIs, frequent sexually transmitted infections, ectopic pregnancies, um, multigravita. Again, we can't stereotype and say this is someone who is promiscuous. Right. We need to say, okay, this is the third time that she's been seen. What is happening? There's also familial sex trafficking where it's a parent who is actually the trafficker. Like with Tammy's situation, my co-founder, Tammy, not only has been an ER nurse for 30 years, sexual assault nurse examiner, forensic nurse examiner, but is a survivor of familial sex trafficking. Her mother was her trafficker. And in order to have Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs met, food, shelter, she do whatever you out. have to do. Right. Exactly. So when you have that parent who is very domineering, who is not letting the child speak, who will not separate and the child has suspicious bruising or bruising in various stages of healing or the, 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 the injuries do not match the story. Okay. It's the parent, but that could be the trafficker. Right. So again, we really need to, to expand our horizons and really broaden that perspective to say, okay, something's happening. Those who are frequent runaways, we need to stop and say, what are you running from? Because again, abuse could be happening in the home. What are you running to? Someone may be promising them a better life that they are grooming and recruiting and right. isolating them from their loved ones. Come, I would never do that to you. I would never treat you that way. I'm going to take care of you. And off they go. So I hope that answers your question. It does. And you you touched on something that I caught. And, and I know we've spoken about this before. And, and we're saying she. I want to make sure that our listeners understand that it very well could be he. And, you know, this also happens pre predominantly to males as well. It doesn't gender, there's no gender association with human trafficking. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you addressed that. Yes. Again, the stereotype is that it is a female who is being trafficked with a male trafficker. That is not the case. We have males, boys who are being trafficked, and we have female traffickers. We actually have kids recruiting kids out of school and getting them into the trafficking ring. So absolutely. It, it, there is no stereotype. Unfortunately, it does exist, but I'm here to right. break that. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Okay, right. And, you know, honestly, looking at the clinician facing piece about it, you know, what would we say to those who feel that maybe they rarely see or suspect human trafficking? Or are they just lucky? Or maybe they're just not aware as they should be? What would you say to those clinicians? So again, I'm going to reiterate that human trafficking cases have been reported in all 50 states and U.S. territories. Wow. So they are being seen. 
they are just being missed. And again, it's not the clinician's fault. Just like I had to come to terms with the fact that it was not my fault that I didn't know. And, and you, Dr. Geiger, that you, you know, it's right. made you think about it. It's just because that education piece is not there. And so if we are not properly educating our healthcare professionals, and we know that approximately 70 to 90% of victims are being seen by us, but we don't know. We don't know how to identify it. Right. We don't know what those red flag findings are, those high indicators of suspicion. So they are being seen. So to those clinicians who think it's not happening here, please, I encourage you to seek out appropriate training, certainly come to our website, but there are other wonderful resources as well. You just need to be educated so that you have human trafficking on the radar so that when, I'm not even going to say if, when these clients who are being trafficked are in front of you, you will be able to see beyond what their chief complaint is, past medical history, and diagnostically overshadow them and really see into what is happening and that it could very well be trafficking. Thank you for that, because that, it's really important for them to hear, go back to the impact and the, the, how widespread it is. Um, so speaking on that responsibility in reporting, if we could just go back a little bit to ownness and responsibility in reporting from clinicians to administrators, are there political or other bills or laws supporting this this reporting and how does that work in the clinical setting? Absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to say is it really should be something that is imperative and really um, on the forefront of leadership's minds to say we need to implement anti-human trafficking training throughout our facility. So that is going to be a proactive approach in making sure that your clinicians, your staff members are properly educated. When it comes to reporting, it's again imperative that there are protocols in place because once a client is identified as a victim of human trafficking, that healthcare professional needs to know, okay, I'm going to look at my protocol and see what exactly I need to do. Because if you're finding someone, but you don't know who to turn to, you don't know what the next step is, you don't know how to escalate, and, and perhaps your colleagues are not as trained as you are, or again, improperly trained, depending on the type of education they receive, they may not believe you. So that actually may deter that clinician from moving forward and saying, you know, I, I, something's not right. I think that this might be human trafficking. But when we look at mandates in place, we have the Federal Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act of 1974, so again, that's really that child abuse reporting, which this is, it's falling under abuse. Now, when we look at the reporting of human trafficking, again, we're falling under the federal law of the TVPA, but states may differ with some of their criterion. 
Say, for instance, again, according to the TVPA, it's anyone under the age of 18. It falls under mandatory reporting guidelines because force, fraud, and coercion do not need to be proven. The state of Alabama and the state of Nebraska, it's actually anyone under the age of 19. Mississippi is 21. You also have tribal laws. So it really, so when we talk about reporting, it can, we do need to be a little bit more granular at that facility level because it may differ depending on the statutes, the mandate, again, the, the geography, which state they're in, if it's falling under tribal laws. So again, very important that these facilities, these healthcare facilities have these policies in place so that that clinician knows exactly what to do that follows that local state or tribal law. Right. So these, they should step up as well. I mean, these, they need to make sure that they have some policies in place. Yes, absolutely. That makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and then, you know, just to go back and make sure, are there exceptions for other clinicians like physicians, PAs? Um, I know we're talking about nurse, nurses, but are there, you know, political pieces or bills or laws around who has more responsibility in reporting? So again, all healthcare professionals have that mandate that we are mandated reporters for anyone that we are suspecting is some form of abuse, particularly in those with minors. Now, you know, just also we need to recognize that even though an individual may be 18 or over, there may be other criteria that fall under mandatory reporting guidelines. So that's important to know as well. Right. But when it comes to healthcare professionals, I will tell you that some of the differences <laughs> is actually the amount of training that some of these states require for healthcare professionals on anti-human trafficking training. Some that are falling under medicine, they only require one hour of continuing education, whereas nurses and other healthcare professionals, allied healthcare professionals required to. I don't know why. Uh, medical schools are not getting the education either. There have been a few select studies that are showing that the human trafficking content is lacking in that pre-med program. So again, it's, you know, I, I, I don't understand why that is, but nonetheless, so that definitely is uh is one of the differences. But, you know, when when we are actually speaking of the medical discipline, right. Nurses United Against Human Trafficking, not only has our content been vetted by Texas HHS and approved by Texas HHS, which I will say Texas is the only state that vets the trainings that will satisfy the continuing education for a healthcare professional on wow. anti-human trafficking training. Yeah, so other states you could sort of had like a hodgepodge kind of thing. And there is no standardization or uniformity, which again is really compounding the problem. Um, but we not only have our content approved by Texas HHS, it has also been approved by the ANCC to award oh. nine contact hours falling under the discipline of nursing. It has also been approved by the ACCME to award nine CMEs for those 
professionals that are falling under the, the discipline of medicine. And it has also been approved by the ASRT for radiology technicians, because again, these imaging studies, these clients are right. coming in, non-fatal strangulations, they're going to need a CAT scan. You know, if anyone else in that acute care setting missed it, now we have the radiology te technician who actually might say, wow, I took this training and now I'm seeing something. I think I need to do something. Right. That's great. So we have, and they can actually, it's more of a team looking and not just onus on one person because it, thinking back, honestly, I was like, how did I miss this? But it's like, how did we as a community of clinicians miss this? I mean, and maybe we could grab this and learn together. Um, I'd like to go just a little bit and shift. I know we, we've we've provided a lot for everyone to digest. And I, I going back to my anxiety of hearing about it because it's so upsetting to hear that this could happen to anyone. What's your biggest concern regarding clinicians as they treat potential victims of human trafficking? And I mean, I've mentioned that, you know, it caused me a little bit of anxiety just being in that space and wondering if I had failed someone. What concerns would you have for those clinicians who are in that space and have to treat these victims? Sure, absolutely. So we need to first and foremost say, and I will reiterate, it's not your fault. Right. It's not your fault. It's a very hard pill to swallow. I recognize that because like I said, I lived it and I recognize that I failed as a mandated reporter and it made me start to think about all the others that I could have missed. It's not right. your fault. So again, let that empower you to be properly educated so that you will not fail another client again. We also have to understand that as healthcare professionals, we are experiencing vicarious trauma with some of these clients that are coming in. And so we need to recognize what that is doing to us and impacting us and how we really need that self-care and that time for self-promotion, self-reflection, because it definitely takes its toll. I mean, we look at a lot of healthcare professionals across the disciplines that are leaving their respective professions. It's it's imperative that we recognize what's happening and that we address it and do whatever therapeutic modalities we need that can, can self-preserve. But again, just making sure that they that our colleagues in the healthcare professions recognize that they are not properly educated and mot be motivated to do something to educate themselves. I also want to say that part of this piece that we are looking at with human trafficking and these clients that are coming in, they do not self-identify as victims of human trafficking. So it's not like they are going to just up and disclose because if they are not identifying themselves as such, it makes it that much harder for us to recognize what's happening. Absolutely. There is so much manipulation that these traffickers use that they are psychologically, it's literally like they, they just get their hooks in their brains and they just literally plant these little thoughts into them. So they do not self-identify. So again, just, you know, taking the onus off of the clinician and making them say, it's okay, it's not your fault. 
Here's something that you can do to prevent you from missing another one, perhaps. And again, just recognizing that what we are dealing with as healthcare professionals, we are experiencing a lot of vicarious trauma. Absolutely. You touched on the biggest piece of self-care and making sure that you're taking care of yourself. If you're witnessing or dealing with this trauma, um, I speak often about self-care and building that resilience. You definitely have to be prepared for something like this. So getting that opportunity and taking some responsibility on educating yourself is really huge. But also healthcare executives, administrators, they have to have this education as well. They really should know what's happening, what's possible to come through their their hospitals, their their clinics, and what can be you know happening to their clinicians and what they could be going through and facing instead of just asking them, hey, let's get back to work as soon as you know they deal with someone who was particularly difficult to to number one to to witness to support. Yes empathetically and emotionally, and then also that you may need just a minute. So I appreciate you adding in that. Um, What advice would you like to leave with our listeners today? Besides, I know we talked about, you know, definitely making sure that you get more education about human trafficking, which is important, have that, have more awareness. Um, What else can they do from their standpoint, like advocating within their health systems for this type of education? What would you like to share with them? Absolutely. So again, you know, becoming educated, there are a number of resources that are really a wealth of knowledge. And in addition to the NUAHT website, where we actually have resources, and again, you can become a member and part of the membership, which is included is the, the anti-curriculum, I'm sorry, the anti-trafficking training curriculum. Um, But there is the department of Homeland security, the blue campaign, the Center for Countering Human Trafficking, which the Blue Campaign falls out of. There is uh, Hope for Justice, Polaris, Thorn. There are a number of resources out there. Um, Also, become involved in, again, just as you said, Dr. Geiger, that advocacy piece. Absolutely. Not advocating for the facility to embrace this and to properly educate your fellow clinicians, but there are pieces of legislation now before Congress that you can contact your local elected official and start to do advocacy efforts that way. If say perhaps there's someone who's a nurse educator who is working in pre-licensure programs or even that of graduate programs, say, hey, are, are we doing something with this? We also have a human trafficking focused simulation that you can incorporate into your onboarding process, say for instance, for clinicians or for those in those pre-licensure programs or advanced practice nursing programs or you know those in medicine, just really having human trafficking become part of the learning experience 
part of that educational journey, continuing education, again, participating in advocacy efforts. Perhaps there are some clinicians who are members of professional associations or even serving on boards. Hey, let's get a subject matter expert in. Let's do a panel discussion. Let's have a survivor speak to give his or her lived experience so that we're really seeing it from that perspective and understand what we are seeing and how we need to best respond with that that trauma-informed, trauma-centered lens. I really appreciate that. You know, it's been a pleasure talking to you today and digesting this. I, I know we could go on and on, and I really do hope that you'll come and visit us again. Um, how can they get in touch with you? If they have more questions for you, if they would like to involve you in some of their ex expanded efforts into really embracing and making sure clinicians, a part of their organizations and health systems are aware and have the education that they need, what can they do to get in touch with you, Dr. Bono Neri? Sure, Dr. Geiger. They can go to our website, which is located at www.nuaht.org. Again, they can see all the different tabs that we have, the different uh, resources. Some are downloadable. Again, membership option. But the very last tab at the end is contact us. And so they can just literally fill out that little form that's there, just a couple of fields, text fields, and uh, and I will receive it through the uh, the website. So yes, it's very easy to get in contact with me. I'm so happy to correspond with anyone who has further questions or just wants to know more about human trafficking. It's it's my pleasure and, and it's such an honor to be with you, Dr. Geiger here, and, and I look forward to future discussions. Thank you so much. And for those of you who um, may be internal or if you have questions and you're, you're unable to contact Dr. Bono Neri, you can reach us at act, A-C-T, at ingenivishealth.com. You can email us. We are more than happy to get you in touch with her. And, you know, I thank you so much again for joining us. And listeners, continue to join us on Clinician Voice. I do hope you'll catch our other podcasts. Until next time, be well and be safe.